Good morning. If you would open your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 5. I have to tell you, I, um, I feel a little bit like a failure this morning because there was a pastor here several years ago, and he was very famous, this Pastor Bob, and you probably know where I'm going with this. <laughs> but from what I understand, his first Sunday of the new year, he would come up with all this cool stuff, right? He would rhyme a sermon title, like how to be your best you in 2022, something like that. And he had songs that he sang about the new year and props he pulled out. And I ain't got none of that. So (laughs) just be prepared. When it comes to Pastor Bob and his ministry, I'm a failure. So So Ephesians chapter 5. But he is a very dear, very sweet man. Okay, so this marks the third section of, um, you, know, you know, Paul has told us the first half of Ephesians, what's true, gospel truths, and now he begins to tell us what to do, how to live, and this marks the third section on the, the behavior of a Christian, and three different times he tells us walk, right, which means how to live, so he says in chapter four, walk in unity, and then walk in holiness, And now what we see here is walking in love. And and this week, Paul says something that's found nowhere else in Scripture, that we are to become imitators of God, which means copiers in the positive, and you might say in the negative, counterfeiters. Those who want to make something that looks as close to the original as possible. And you say, okay, Rusty, well, how in the world do I do that? I, I'm, I'm sinful. I'm broken. I, I can't be all-knowing. I'm not all-knowing. I'm, I'm not all-powerful. In fact, I'm not all-anything. And so how am I to imitate God? It sounds impossible. And that's what Paul spells out here. So if you would, look at Ephesians 5, verse 1 to 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children... And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual morality and all impurity and covetousness might not even be named amongst you as is proper amongst saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let's pray for our time. Lord, what a command, be imitators of God in love and holiness. And that's that's a very humbling command. And so I ask now that you take your word, you would open it to us, you would teach us from it, You would use it as an instrument, as a sword to transform our lives, bring more joy and Christ-likeness into our lives, and that you'd be honored and glorified. The glory of Christ and what he's done for us and who he is as our king and our high priest would be seen here today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If someone was to see you, get to know your life, 
examine it? Would, would they come away saying, there is someone who is an imitator of Christ, an imitator of God. I, I, I see how Christ is in you and how you sacrificially are loving others. Several years ago, um, we were at my family's house, my father's house, and we were eating dinner. And my father's wife asked this question. She said, what time do you guys usually get up in the mornings? And we started telling her, and she said, well, in our house, it's a, it's a process, talking about my stepmom and my dad. She said, you know, Rusty's father, he, he sits there in the morning, and he grabs one sock, and then he, he puts it on, and he sits for five minutes and stares off in la-la land, and then he grabs the next sock, and he puts it on, and he just stares off. And he does the same thing with the shoes. And she said the process takes about 20 minutes. And Jennifer just had this great revelation. She said, that's where Rusty gets it from. He does the same thing. And it was just a few weeks later, we were with my sister, and we were sister-in-law, my brother's wife, and we were relaying that story. And she said, that's where David, who's my brother, gets it from as well. And so at some point growing up, we had watched my dad sit there for 20 minutes and put on his socks and shoes. And we said, well, that's the way men do it. <laughs> that, that's how it should be done. And that's what feels natural to us. And as people, we naturally imitate, don't we? We imitate what we see and hear. Our, our children, after a few months of living in New Zealand, would say, oh, I can't wait for morning tea. That's not something they picked up in Alabama. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells Christians to become imitators of God as his children and as his saints. And he's saying that our lives are lived to become more and more in the image and the imitation of God that we see in Christ. And so I want to ask you, what or who are you pursuing to model your life after? Right? Who controls how you dress? What your house looks like? What type of vehicle you choose to drive? What what comes out of your mouth? How you treat the people that work with you? What, What you look at on the screen? How you use your money? How you speak to your spouse and your children? And so here our our main idea today is just this, that we are to be imitators of God in how we sacrificially love. So you say, well, okay, Rusty, well, how do I do that? I can't heal people. I can't raise people from the dead. How am I to imitate? And that's what Paul tells us, two things here. Here's how. First is this. As his children who love like him. How are you to imitate? First, as his children who love like him. Look in your Bibles at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Notice those first words. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Right? And you see that beloved children? The reference there is like an only child. That the parents are devoted. They can give all their love 
to this one beloved child. And he's saying, God knows Christians. He knows every believer one by one. And he loves you like you were his only child, his beloved, the beloved child. And notice why then he tells you to imitate God. Is it when you imitate God, then you win the acceptance of God by imitating him? No, notice what it says. It is because we have his acceptance as children. Notice, imitate God as his beloved children, right? Not to become his beloved children. He, he is bringing us back to what he's already told us in chapter 1, verse 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, because you have his love, his acceptance, you are his beloved children, as a father loves his child, now you imitate your father in heaven, right? Okay, and then that's wide open <laughs> because the attributes of God are great. How am I to in imitate him? Verse 2, and walk in love. To be an imitator of God is to live in love. And the idea of walking is to make it your habit, make it your lifestyle to love. The lifestyle of the believer, what comes out of our life, is love. So does that, does that mean I just walk around giving people big hugs? That seems a little bit creepy to me, telling them how much I love them. He tells us how to do that. Look in your Bibles. Just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us as an offering and sacrifice to God for a fragrant aroma. So how are you to imitate God's love? By imitating the greatest display of it. Christ gave himself up for us. Now in the original language, to give himself means to hand over or to give over. So th this love started well before the cross, before eternity. Jesus agreed to give himself up to be born in a low condition in a manger in a sinful world to take on flesh, to come under the Father's curse for sin, to be crucified, to die a painful death, and to remain under death's power for a time separate from his Father. He gave himself in love. And he then is our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, for those he loves. And your imitation of Jesus is not to wear his sandals, but to his sacrificial love of giving yourself up. Now, there's an amazing result of this love. Look what it says. As an offering and sacrifice to God for fragrant aroma. There's two words you'll see there. Offering and sacrifice. Together, they carry the idea that Christ's death is the one death to fulfill all those offerings and sacrifices needed for sin in the Old Testament. His death is the one great sacrifice made in love on behalf of those he loved. And notice what it says. It's a pleasing aroma. That's an Old Testament way of saying that God accepted it. He received the death of Christ for us. So when we receive Christ by faith, we become God's beloved children. Our lives are a pleasing aroma in Christ to him. That's our position. 
And his call to us then is to go, take up your cross, die to yourself, love others in such a way that it is a sacrifice to yourself. Catch that. You are to love others in such a way that it is a sacrifice to yourself. It costs you something in how you love other people. And they see the death of Christ in your sacrificial love to them. One of my favorite missionaries is a a man named John Hyde. And there was a book that was written about him called Praying Hyde. And he helped lead the Indian revival of 1905. And the way he loved people begin to be taken notice of in India by the Hindu community. There there was one homeless boy that he took in, brought into his home, and the young man repeatedly abused his grace. He stole from him. He lied to him. He disobeyed him. And yet Hyde continued to open his home to him, take him back in off the streets again and again and again. And it began to take notice as people began to listen to the gospel because of the way Hyde had loved people. Well, the Hindu community, the leaders there, they decided they would trick him, that no one could love like that, to find out his sins and expose him as a fraud. So they sent another young boy as a spy to go live with Hyde because he would take in homeless children. And after a period of time, the man ran out of his house saying to effect, he must be God. He must be God. And what he meant was, His love of people so imitated God, was so sacrificial, like nothing he had ever experienced. It must be divine. And in one sense, it was because it was Christ in him, wasn't it? You see, a commitment to love others sacrificially, imitating Christ on the cross, it's difficult. It's incredibly difficult. It's more than you can do and more than I can do. And that's the reason Jesus in the garden, before he goes to the cross, he says, Father, take this cup from me. It's a cup of judgment that he was about to drink. But not my will, but yours be done. So if sacrificial love was hard for Christ, then it will be hard for those who imitate him. But if the Spirit is in your heart, then the ability to love sacrificially is there as well. Now, I find that we're usually most committed to our own comfort. And we love the things that bring us comfort. And Jesus is calling you to love others in such a way that it is a sacrifice to yourself. It is a sacrifice to your comfort, to your possessions, to your time. Jesus is calling you to sacrifice for the needs of others to give yourself up. This means to follow Jesus is costly. Your life on a daily basis given to love others. Your possessions given to love people. Your time given to love others. And in doing that, you are displaying the sacrifice of Christ to the world in your sacrifice. You are presenting the sacrifice and love of Christ in your own sacrifice to love to others. And the world can see then the glory of Christ in the cross and your imitation of it fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the second thing. 
So we are to be imitators of God, how? First, as children who imitate the love of the Father, and second, as saints who imitate the holiness of the Father. Look there in your Bibles at verse 3. But sexual immorality and impurity or greed must not even be named amongst you as is proper amongst the saints. Stop. (laughs) Doesn't that seem like he makes a big jump? He, He says, be imitators of God in love. And then he immediately says, but sexual morality shouldn't even be named amongst you. And you're like, well, how do I connect those two Legos? How do I put those two things together? Well, let me tell you why I think these things are put together with a story. One of my best friends who lived with us in, uh, in seminary told us about his father. His father had been in ministry for 25 years. And he said his father would get in real low places, and then he would have an affair. And this affair would go on for some season. He'd have another woman in his life. And then he would go to some big, extreme Jesus conference and have a mountaintop experience. He'd repent of it. And he would be good for another two to three years, and then this cycle continued. It destroyed his family, it destroyed his ministry, his relationship with his children. And you might be saying, well, Rusty, that's just a male thing. And I would say, well, the motivation, motivation may be different, but the sin is the same. I have a good friend who was dating a young Christian lady, and as their relationship progressed, She confessed to him that over the last several years in the church, she'd had sexual relationships with five different men. Why? Because she was lonely. She wanted to get married and was willing to compromise herself to do it. And so why would Paul put this warning here? And look at your Bible and look at those three words. Sexual morality, impurity, covetousness. Sexual morality and purity means prostitution, homosexuality, harlotry, fornication, which is sex before marriage. And the idea is don't have any impure physical contact in life outside of marriage. Now, Paul, four different times, puts together lists like this. One of them is here. The second is Colossians 3, 5. The third's Galatians 5.19, and the fourth is 1 Corinthians 6.9. And in all four of those lists, sexual sin is mentioned first, every time. And he's saying, of the outward sins, these are the most dangerous. And then notice what he does. He moves to the source of sexual sins, covetousness, Right? which is an inward craving of the heart for something that God has not given you. And so I I want you to follow Paul's thinking here, right? Sexual morality, impurity, covetousness. Put these three together. Notice what he's saying. Coveting is an insatiable appetite to get more of the world. And that is the opposite of imitating Christ's love, which is a desire to sacrifice for the world. You see that? His point is when your heart is ruled by covetous hunger for sexual morality and impurity, you will not imitate the love of Christ because your life is ruled by selfish getting rather than sacrificial giving. 
sexual morality, impurity, covetousness, each have selfish desires at its core motivation. Love dies to self so others can experience the gospel love of Christ for them and be transformed. One is all about what I can get from other people, how you can serve me and my desires. It's coveting. The other is I want to die to myself and show you the love of Christ by what I can give. You see how they're opposites? And why Paul then would put them side by side? Maybe just a little head nod. You get that. Now, notice what he says then. They're not even to be mentioned. Those things in that day, you know, sometimes we think about these, well, yeah, these are very prevalent in our culture, but not back then. Well, that's not actually true. They were incredibly present back then. But he's saying in the believers' lives, they're to be totally absent, not even mentioned, talked about in your lives. So why are these sins so important to Paul that he would continuously list in his four lists the first every time sexual sins and say don't even talk about them. Notice what he says there. As is proper amongst saints. Notice what he doesn't say. As is proper amongst moral people, church goers, law keepers. <laughs> no, amongst saints. We pursue holiness in our body, not so God will say, there is a pure, holy, saintly person. (laughs) But because in Christ, God declares that you are His saints, His holy ones, His pure children. Scripture then teaches holiness and Christ's likeness is purpose, the purpose of why He adopted us. It's why He made you His children. It's why He gave you His Holy Spirit. He... You say, where is that? Ephesians 1.4 Even though He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in His sight. Before the foundations of the world, God chose sinful people He didn't say, go, be good, to have my love, to become my children, to be a saint. He said, by faith, I will make you my children, my saints. Now go live like it. Flee sexual sin, which is the opposite of who you are and what you're called to. And lastly, notice, he then gives a warning to the church. Verse 5, look in your Bibles. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Warning. Know this with certainty. If you live like that, you will no longer be a saint. That's not what he's saying. Notice what he's saying. If these sins are the pattern of your life, you have no inheritance in the kingdom. Why? Because you're not my children. You're not my saints. But rather, he calls them, you're an idolater. In other words, what controls your heart are these sins, not the love of the Father. So it's not fear-based. It's not, if you don't do this, then you won't be my child. It's fact-based. 
living like this, know that you are not my child, nor my saint, but rather one who follows the idols of his own heart. They are your Lord. They are what you love most. They are what you serve. Because my saints, my children are new creatures. They have my spirit. He guides, he enables, he transforms our lives. Okay, pause there. Are you saying, Rusty, that if I ever covet or struggle physically with something or look at pornography, I'm not a believer? No. That's not what this text is saying. As Christians, we wrestle with the flesh and with our sin, and we will until we die. It is not perfect obedience that shows that you are his beloved children, but the battle for Christ's likeness in your heart and and a new hatred for sin and love for God. These things reveal the spirit in you that marks every believer. How do we think and live this? How do you take this from your head to, to your heart? Three things. Let's close with this. First is this. Christ is king. And, and, and he is speaking here as king over our lives. Whoever has truly accepted Christ as your Savior has accepted him as Savior from sin, yes. But not just Savior from the punishment of my sin. When we receive Christ by faith, we receive him as the king to rule over and reign over my life. He's not just the high priest who made a sacrifice on the cross for my sins. He is the king that I submit to his authority and his commands in all of my life. So in every believer, we look to him as our high priest whose sacrifice forgives us, and as our king to submit to his good will. And we trust that he is our good king whose will for us is the road of joy, peace, fruitfulness. In other words, these things that he's saying how to live is a king telling us in a loving, fatherly way, this is the road that honors me and the road that brings joy, faithfulness, peace, fruitfulness in your life. Let's go to the second thing. This is a warning to non-believers. Paul's warning then is be sure of this. If your life is filled with sexual morality, sexual impurity, covetousness for what God has not given you, and you continue without repentance or godly sorrow, then you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Because the fruits of your heart show that you are not like verse 1 says, his beloved child. Understand this, because Christians are his beloved children, we can imitate his love. Here is one of the great differences between the true believer and the non-believer. You can be very orthodox in what you believe, but actually not be a believer because the love of Christ is not in you. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, the devil is quite orthodox in his beliefs. He knows there is one God in three persons. Yet his orthodoxy is not accompanied by love because he is not a beloved child of God. The Spirit is not in him. Love doesn't save. Faith alone saves. 
But all true believers who become God's beloved children find a new love for God and a new love for people in their lives. Last thing is this. Paul's warning to the believer. But the believer who is living in sexual sin, what Paul is writing here to them, and maybe that's you, they receive it. And I would encourage you, receive it and repent from it. Turn from it and embrace imitating their call, imitating Christ, imitating God as His beloved children and saints. If you are a saint, and at this point you are struggling with some type of sexual sin, how then do you deal with it? How do you grow? Two. First, sexual sins are deep selfishness that is all about what you can get from other people. Them serving your desires. You need to repent of a heart controlled by what it can get from others rather than what it can give sacrificially to others. This is your calling as His beloved children. And I would say, if this is your private world, you know that you've quenched the Holy Spirit. You experience it. There's no desire for God. There is only the veneer. And I would implore you with all of my heart, turn away from that darkness which is killing you and gutting you spiritually. Second is this. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, expose them to the light for everything that exposed to the light becomes visible. You need to expose the darkness of the heart to the light of God's Word. The Word will reveal your heart and the Spirit then will give you victory to overcome it. Truth kindles love. When the truth of all the glorious promises of the Gospel are known and seen and savored and enjoyed through the Word of God, those truths take hold of the heart and draw us to love Christ more. And you say, well, what about loving people? There really is no separation between loving God and loving people. As you begin to love God more because you see more of His beauty and His glory and you're satisfied with Him, and it's so easy then to begin to turn away from the satisfactions, particularly sexually, of this world, what ends up coming out of your heart then is not just love for the Lord, but love for His people. Those two are the same. As you love God with all your heart, love for people then comes. So the command is not, go love people. Love the Lord with all your heart. And as you grow in your understanding and your knowing of Him, what comes out of the heart then is imitating God by the ability to love others well. Father, I, I thank You. Um, I thank You for our Savior in these hard words and every time He says, do this command you tell us because you're the beloved child command flee sexual morality because you are my saints oh lord we want to live like your children in this world father because we are your saints and yet we look at ourselves and some of us are in deep darkness some of us have a hidden closet that we live in no one sees it lord and i ask for spiritual ability to overcome that, to repent of that, to renounce that, to turn away from that, and to have a life that is full 
of loving the truths of God and being filled with the love of God that overflows to loving those around us well. Let's pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.